Hey, let's welcome in. We got the entire family with us today. We got our house churches with us. We got our online family locally as well as globally. And we got all the campus families with us today. So whether you're at Midtown or Hamilton Mill or North Cobb, welcome in today. Come on, let's welcome a whole family. I love this. I love it when we get the whole family together, especially right here around Christmas, right? So um, today is gonna be a little different because of the season that we're in. And so even about right at a year ago, I had the opportunity, I had the privilege to go and study in Oxford for a week with uh, one of my cohorts. And so while we were there, uh, we got introduced to a young pastor who has a big church in Oxford full of young people, which if you know anything about the spiritual climate of England, that doesn't make sense. It does not make sense to have a big church full of young people in a place like Oxford. And so as a group of American pastors, we just wanted to sit down with this pastor and, and kind of pick his brain. And so we were like, hey, how are you doing it? And in the midst of that, he started talking about their liturgy. He was talking about how they format their services. He was talking about how they think about evangelism, how they, um, how, how they love people, how they lead people. And then he said something that honestly for the last year has just stuck with me and I haven't been able to kick it. It just keeps coming up in my mind. And he said this specifically about the younger generation. He said that the younger people in our midst need to hear from those who have seen more winters. They need to hear from people who have seen more winters, which is a very British way of saying younger people need to hear from older people. Come on, from the ones who have gone before them, that God is still faithful Come on, even in the midst of the mess, God still keeps his promises. Come on. And that everything at the end of the day, it's gonna be okay. That we need to hear from those who have seen more winters. And I don't even know if he was doing it, but he was kind of poking at Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 verse four says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And in essence, what he's saying is every generation serves like another link in the chain. Come on, of the story of the faithfulness of God, that we're, we're singing of, of the joy of his righteousness. We're celebrating his abundant goodness, that, that one generation commends God's works to the next. We need that. We need the links in the chain. So, so hold that for a second. So if you have been with us this year, you know this, that we've done something that Victor has really never done before in our history is that we actually took an entire year and we dedicated it to one particular segment of scripture. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, talking about the, the best sermon ever preached, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is in essence Jesus' manifesto of kingdom living. What does it actually look like to live out this life with Jesus. And specifically, he makes a promise at the end of Matthew 7 that says, if you build your life on Jesus, if you build your life on God's word, that when the storms of life come, you'll still be found standing. Okay, And so in essence, last week, what we said, since it was kind of like our last full ser sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, we said that last week was almost like our graduation ceremony from Sermon on the Mount University. And uh, so if last week was kind of like our graduation ceremony, then this week, I want us to hear from our commencement speaker. Can I say it like that? If last week was our graduation ceremony, today I want us to hear from our commencement speaker. I want us to hear from somebody who has seen more winters. I want us to hear from somebody who doesn't just speak about the faithfulness of God in the storms in the theoretical. I want us to hear from somebody who speaks from the experiential, who's seen the faithfulness of God proved out over the years. And in fact, I want us to hear from somebody who I've had the privilege to be able to observe up close and personal my entire life. So Victory, please welcome to share with us today, my dad, Ron Bowie, up here to the platform. <laughs> hey, Dad. I love you, buddy. Uh, take a seat, take a seat, take a seat. I want that one. Yeah, nope, too late. <clears throat> <laughs> hey, so here, here's what we're doing uh, today to kind of loop everybody in. So uh, on social media, we threw out uh, to really all the campuses, everybody who's connected to Victory, and we asked this question. We said, what would you like to ask someone who's built their life on Jesus for a long time? 
And we got in a lot of questions. And the team kind of crunched all those questions together. Some were a little bit more at this campus or some were a little bit more at this campus. But we were able to kind of crunch all those questions down to what I would say is probably four questions, which I would love to um, walk through today uh, with you. But before we do that, I wanna ask you two quick questions, okay? Two quick questions, okay? So the first one is this. Um, You met mom in second grade. Hi, mom. Mom's here today as well. What's up, mom? Um, I, love the, the, I love those stories, don't you? You just hear those stories, but they met in the second grade uh, and in Athens, and now you have been married for 57 and a half years. That half is important, 57 and a half. You have three children, Lara, Bishop, and myself, and I think everybody's question that they really want to know is, why am I your favorite? <laughs> Do you really want to know? <laughs> no, no, they don't want to know. Um, they already know already, just instinctively. No, 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 the, re- the real question is this. So you were in pastoral ministry, uh, specifically in the Presbyterian um, denomination. You were in uh, pastoral ministry for over 30 years, and you're still obviously in, in ministry expressions to even today. Uh, with that sort of longevity, what would you say is your favorite, or maybe one of your favorite ministry moments? We were in Boone, North Carolina for 18 years, and the Presbyterian Church up there had kind of integrated one of the Moravian traditions. Moravians were down in Winston-Salem, and they they came over to the States a long time ago, but the Moravian love feast was celebrated in the Presbyterian Church there, and it was celebrated the first Sunday of Advent every year. And it involves uh, bells and chimes and kids' choirs and adult choirs and brass and singing. And they serve kind of like a supersized sweet donut with sweet coffee. And uh, you you get get to sing the Christmas carols. And as you uh, sit around and sing, uh, you get through with that. And then the pastor stands up and tells a story. And for roughly 18 years, I was able to tell the story of not only the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, but how Jesus' life impacts people. And at the end of that comes the hallelujah chorus. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that empowered me and inspired me. And it's, it's really one of the images that stands in my mind. will be until I die. So my takeaway as a young child going through that was always donuts and coffee. Like, yes. So the way to grow a church is donuts and coffee. But those were super powerful moments. I remember that. Um, so uh, just kind of the, the last quick question before we jump in is, I know you're an avid reader. So, uh, you know, every time I'm over at your house, like there's always more books and new books. And um, you, you really do take the, your growth seriously and, you know, press into Jesus in that way. So I'm curious uh, what you've been reading lately. I read the long, long letter of uh, Jude. <laughs> it has like 30 verses. <laughs> uh, it, it speaks to our times. It speaks to all the turmoil, the chaos of our times, and to really be careful about uh, what you listen to, what you see, what you hear, and, and how you live as a, a child of God. Uh, I also, I have what I call free reading. I, I just finished up uh, one of John Grisham's books called The Exchange. It's very similar to what's happened over in the Mideast with uh, Israel and Hamas. Hamas. And uh, it's, it's a good book. I recommend it. And the other is, I brought it today because it has something to do between the services, right? <laughs> uh, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of the most prominent writers of the last century. He wrote... Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and a lot of a lot of families go through those books, and some movies have been made. But this particular book by C.S. Lewis tells about his young life, uh, really from his birth up until he's about 17 to 20 years old. And it's it's like our stories. Each one of us has a life story, and we need to to read our life stories. We need to let other people know what our life stories are, so they can see that they're not experiencing everything in life by themselves. So that's a good book. I'm, I'm enjoying it right now. Love it. Hey, so uh, one, one of the categories of questions that came in, especially in regards to building on the rocks, Sermon on the Mount and everything like that, is uh, in, in this line. So, uh, you know, really for all of us, all we got to do is look around and it's pretty stormy out there, right? Like there's, 
storms come in all shapes and sizes, but um, especially even just think about some of the, some of the younger um, generation in the congregation. The last five years, you know, maybe they're 20, 25, 30 years old, don't have as much life to be able to look at, but you look at the last five years and it's been stormy, right? So we got COVID and we got, you know, some of your younger people miss proms and homecomings and graduations. Um, you know, we hear of single moms going through a whole lot of things, financial things. We got government chaos and the race riots that all happened during COVID. And now we look at Ukraine and Israel and all that sort of stuff. And so as somebody who's maybe seen more winters, um, what would you say has kept you grounded during the chaos of the storms that we find ourselves in today? Well, something that uh, amazes me is the writing of the Psalms and the psalmist. The psalmist uh, wrote <laughs> thousands of years ago, the years of our life are 70 and perhaps 80 if we're strong. And I realize that I am on the upper end now <laughs> of that age grouping. And that as I begin to look at my life, uh, just to give you an, a very brief overview, I'm a World War II baby, uh, 1944, uh, right after the Allies uh, went into the continent to try to liberate Europe. Uh, from there, four years later, Korea broke out, if you think about it. As you go through some of the other things that were going on at the time, in, in my childhood, what was going on, we had uh, the Cold War. It was not just a cold climate issue. It was a Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. And I remember missiles being shipped into Cuba. And we were taught, in case we had a nuclear attack, to get under our desk. That would help. That would help. Now think about it. Get under our <laughs> desk. Kennedy, who was president at the time, and Khrushchev, who was the premier over in the Soviet Union, uh, were having a war of words, really. It was very, very dangerous times. Looked at uh, a president, John Kennedy, being assassinated, his brother, Dr. Martin Luther King. Boy, those, those images and shots still ring in my ears. You look at uh, Vietnam beginning to rise at that time. Uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union was uh, moving toward a lot of what was going on. When we looked at all of, of the chaos that was there, Congresses uh, were doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there were scandals in the White House. That's never happened. <laughs> Terrorism's spread all over the place. Inflation blew off the roof. Uh, then we came on into this century. You know, the civil rights movement was continuing. Uh, the Twin Towers were attacked. The Twin Towers fell. All these things cycle over and over. And uh, now I'm old. <laughs> Retirement. Health issues. Fixed income death of long-time friends, mortality, all there, all there. So if you are a younger generation adult, let me give you a look at what has happened as to where you are right now. The world is always a little crazy. Mm. What we're going through right now is not new. It may seem earth-shaking, but there are other things that will be coming. And so now you begin to really look at what foundation you are built upon. There are seven things that I looked back upon, and I want to touch on really briefly. I imagine you have your own ways of surviving and getting through difficult times, but, but mine kind of run from family where it begins. I had a great family. My dad gave me a foundation for what it meant to be a man. My mom showed me what the gentler side of a man was. I was taught to give your word and stand upon it. I was taught to budget and balance and pay off your debts. I was taught the very basics of what it meant to live in a world that was always changing. I looked at the second thing there outside of family because my family also raised me in the church. 
but there were mentors. Coburn Kelly at the YMCA in Athens, Georgia, was was a monster of a man. Monster in the sense that he was he was somebody that radiated a giant type figure of what it mean means to be a, a man of God. He talked to to boys fourth, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grades and all. And he taught us it was okay to pray. He taught it was okay to worship. He, he looked at our skill base at the time, which was pretty poor, and, and he, he affirmed us and he sent us on our way. And it was people like that who came into my life that uh, really began to build me up. Uh, church, I mentioned, was uh, instrumental there. Uh, did, did y'all know that Billy Graham had a drug problem? We, we heard him say one time, I was drugged to church every time the doors opened. <laughs> I was drugged to every family night dinner that there was ever. I was drugged to hear every speaker that came in. And that was like, like it was when we were growing up. You know, I grew up in church. We were drugged to church every time the doors opened. And, and the seeds were planted, and my life began to change, and then I got into the Presbyterian Church. And the Presbyterian Church taught me about righteousness and godliness and service and justice, uh, all reaching out, and it began to shape me even more uh, for, for the times that we were in. And then right in the middle of that is my wonderful wife, Barbara. Barbara has been... If she, she's not been my North Star. She's pretty much been off to the right or left of it. But she has been there uh, giving advice, uh, discerning things. She's, she's shown me what, uh, what a woman is who, who loves her husband and cares for him and, and her children. And so, so much of our life has, has radiated together 57 and a half years. She's, she's like my other part that I would miss her dearly if something happened to her. Uh, and rightly so, thank you. Uh, there are friends who share a common faith. If you don't have friends to walk through life with, you're poor. Uh, you're poorer than simply not having money, but if, if, if you have friends, friends are going to come inside you, and I have those friends that, that have been with me my entire life. They're grounded in Scripture. They pray. They intercess. And uh, if I need anything, I pick up the phone and call, and they're, they're there. The uh, next one, which is next to the last, is authors. People like C.S. Lewis. I know there are people who have had greater experiences than I have, and I want to draw from those experiences. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote basically during World War II and was killed for his faith, is probably the strongest theologian that has uh, impacted my life. Elton Trueblood was uh, a pastor writer in the 1950s, and he, he revealed a lot about what it meant to be church and a part of a church. Then Eugene Peterson, uh, later on, has been really somebody I've read every, every work he has done. And he showed me what it means to take care of your spirit. And then, uh, who's that last guy? Uh, others ha have, have written that have opened the scriptures to me and made them simple to write, uh, simple to read, simple to pass on. And so if you have this base in your life, you will be able to build a stronger foundation uh, as time goes on. Hmm. So how I would hear that <clears throat> is, you know, perhaps some of us, maybe my, even myself included, sometimes oversimplify what it looks like to be built on the rock for a long time, we're like, oh, I read my Bible. Yes, and, and it's almost like there's multiple anchor points in our mm -hmm. lives, our friendships, our church, our family, you know, authors, Christ himself. Um, and I've seen that. I've seen that as somebody who's seen many winters. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I applaud that in you, remaining built on the rock for a really long time. Um, second question is this. I think you just kind of hit on it uh, right there. I think you... Um, talking about friends. And, you know, one of the themes that I, I hear at the door, you know, we hear it from pretty much every campus we heard it online, is in the midst of the storms of this life, uh, you know, we say this sometimes, is that storms, um, 
In the storm, it's a little bit too late to build. Storms reveal what you've already built on. So some, some of our own friends, some of husbands, wives, uh, children, um, friends, even here inside Victory, that when the storms have hit, maybe even in this last season, we pick up our head and they're not here anymore. And um, uh, sometimes it can be lonely in the storm. And sometimes it can feel like you're the only mm-hmm. one. And so um, as maybe friends and family in a congregation today who has seen loved ones uproot off the rock and, and leave in the midst of the storm, what would you say to a lonely Christian today? Well, there are so many. Perhaps this room is filled with uh, people who are very lonely right now. Uh, one of the first things I think most of us will say is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this has happened. Uh, but you know, when, when that happens, it, it's not time to pull out a quart of ice cream and turn on a Hallmark movie or uh, you guys to schedule an axe throwing session. You know, the, these things happen. Let, let me relate a story briefly to you uh, from a situation in North Carolina where I was pastor. I uh, have a friend who she and her husband and young teenage son went on a vacation and He didn't get up the next morning. She thought he was sleeping in when she went back to to check on him. Uh, He had died of a heart attack. And so you hear, like, uh, have a 13-year-old whose dad has just died unexpectedly, and the 13-year-old begins to ask all those questions, like, why did God let this happen? Uh, You know, dad didn't need to die. Why didn't God do something about it? And so forth. And... uh, a slide began to take place in that teenager's life. It didn't matter who met with him or who talked with him. He began to slide. He moved away from church. His mom was worried about him. She, she cared for him. She loved him. She provided counseling for him. But it seemed like the more she did, the further away he slid. And I think that, that happens a lot in life, you know, that, that goes on. We, we lose contact with people that we love because either they move away from us or they're moving away from Jesus. But in the situation with my friend, she, uh, she was willing to talk about her faith. She was a Christian. But sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you just need somebody to walk with you during that time, right? I think that's true. And so when, when I, I thought about that situation, I began to, to realize that we Christians have something that non-Christians don't have, and that's hope. Mm. Paul, Paul said at one time, we, we're not like people in the world around us, for we have a living hope. And it's my, it was my job as pastor to be able to say, I want you to remember to this friend. I want you to remember, because remember is one of the great themes of Scripture, to, to remember to pull together all the memories to re Remember, and so uh, after we set up time to talk, and I said, "How how are you doing?" I let her talk. I listened, and I said, "What's going on in you?" And she began to describe what was going on, what issues she was dealing with, and I listened to her, and I said, "How can I help?" Because sometimes we can give help that's not needed. We need to find out where people are struggling. And move into that struggle with them. Help them swim the waters and all. And so she told me, and I, I, I did what I could to help. And so I'm a firm believer that God has placed nature around us to point to God. And I said to my friend, I want you to listen to what's going on in nature. I want you to look for the sunrises. I want you to to claim the beautiful sunsets up there in the mountains. I want you to listen to the wind. And I was telling Johnson a while ago, I have a little bird uh, that that can't be any bigger than that that comes up to my window every morning between 5.30 and 6 o'clock after I get up in the morning. And that little bird has a song that's bigger than this this, uh, sanctuary, this auditorium. And I think it's God's way of saying, Ron, it's time to wake up. I'm here with you. Let's get on to the day with, with, with one another. And so I, I told her to look at nature, and I listened uh, to what she was saying. And I said, okay, well, also, with, with loneliness, there comes some sorrow, and let's, let's put some joy back into your life. Listen to some praise music and sing along with what's happening there. And praise to God because of the life that he's given you. 
I said, look at some of the other things that are going on. Old friends, new friends that you can make that would walk with you because, again, we've emphasized the emphasis of friends uh, just a while ago, that those friends will be with you as, as you go through life. And I said, what's your prayer life like? Intensely pray. Talk to God honestly. Write out your prayers. See how God's answering your prayers. I said, get involved in the church. Be immersed in the church and let the church surround you and let the church love you through this time. Don't leave the church. For goodness sake, that's the worst thing you could do. Move inside. Move closer and closer to the center of that so people can, again, come into you, put their arms around you, give you a hug, say you're special, you're my prayers, and I love you. And I think if we can do that to people, it's going to make their lives richer bring more joy back into their lives and help them through the transition and just think about what it does for us because sometimes it's better to give than it is to receive. Amen. Amen. You know, I think you hit on something, especially there at the end, that, that I've seen lots of times when, whenever sadness comes in, then depression comes in, and then usually we isolate. And uh, I found myself, I don't know about you guys, I found myself that, I call it the trap of Elijah, you know, on the other side of Mount Carmel, that he gets isolated, and he finds himself praying, I'm the only one left, God, I'm the only one left. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not the only one left. Look around the room, come on, whatever room you're in, look around the room. And there are other sojourners in this faith. There are other men and women who are chasing after Jesus. And sometimes we, in, in sad seasons, in seasons where maybe some friends or loved ones are dropping off the rails, we need to lock arms with the people next to us, even inside Victory right here, and just keep running the race. It's going to be okay. Thanks, Dad. Um, next question. So, um, you know, kind of even just taking another step off of what we were just talking about right there is as we kind of look around, I don't think it's hard to see what I would just say a little bit of Matthew 24 getting played out. So Matthew 24, Jesus talks about kind of the end. And he actually says at the end, the love of many will grow cold. And if it's even possible, even some will depart from the faith. And I think we see that not just with friends and loved ones. We actually see it with goodness gracious. We see it with pastors. We see it with churches. We even see it with denominations. We see it all around us uh, in the world. And so um, as someone who has seen many winters, um, what would you say, here's how I'd say it. What would you say is the long-term benefit of building your life on the rock versus building on the sand? Because again, we're not talking about just like one day or two day or a month or two months or maybe 10 years or 20 years. We're talking about a lifetime. What is the long-term benefit Blessing of building on the rock versus building on the sand. That's probably one of the most important things that we look at, I think, as, as time passes. When, when we look at life itself, life is almost a matter of choices, isn't it? You chose to get up today. You chose to get dressed. You chose to eat. You chose to get out in the rain. As early as uh, Genesis Chapter 3, in Eden, God is talking to Adam and Eve. There's my way, there's your way. I give you a way to life, there's a way of death. A little time passes. Israel is in the wilderness after 400 years of uh, slavery. God says at uh, Mount Sinai, there's my way and there's your way. My way leads to life. Yours to death and destruction. Joshua leads the people into the land. Has a big assembly right before he dies. And he says, choose this day whom you will serve. The Lord your God or the gods on the other side of the river. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We have a choice of choosing God's way or our way. It is the way of life, the way of death. And here you have Jesus now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of like the last point of Jesus going, mm. if you've not missed it, you've not heard anything I've said up to now, listen to this. Build on the foundation. You've got a choice, people, to build on the foundation of rock, the foundation which is not rock, called sand. My way leads to life, and your way leads to death. 
I had the privilege of growing up during that time when church was really strong. And church made, church made bad decisions often, but church gave you the foundation to stand on. But I think we're living in a time now that we're, we're, we're really scrambling for what, what will hold us up. You know, schools don't teach about foundations to build on. Uh, universities are not giving you elective courses on what to live on. And when, when you start talking and listening to people that say, uh, you know, build on a good name, build on an education, build on prosperity, build on money, build on possessions, build on all these things that are not going to hold you up over time. And the church, which should be the one out there pointing the way, saying this is the foundation, the church has been awfully quiet the last few years. Now, this is somebody who served for 30-plus years and is now in retirement and looking at a silence that often comes up when the church's voice is strongly needed. The church has somehow missed the mark. We, we're seeing denominations that once were strong, failing. I think it goes back to seminaries. I think it goes back to uh, pastors who have compromised. I think it goes back to authors that are, are selling books and they're giving alternative ways to live. And I think it is to denominations that maybe are listening more to society than the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so you're not getting a foundation. You're not being told what is right, what is good, what is honest, what is just. And we're missing that foundation. But Paul and Jesus, Jesus and Paul, in Scripture tell us there is a foundation. This is Jesus and his teachings. And Paul says, there is a way to build. Build carefully. I mean, keep your antenna up. Listen. Is it good, right, wrong, pure, holy, just, whatever? Or is it out here sandy and you're going to fall? He then says there are, Paul says there, there are two ways to build, with gold, silver, and precious jewels. Things that are quality, things that are good, things that are rich in spirit. But he also says you can also use hay, wood, and straw. And if you use the hay, wood, and straw and you put it on a good foundation, you got poor resources you're building with. You can have a foundation, but you're, you're going to be swept away and not gain the benefits of really being tied down, tied down, established on that foundation. And so this is something that we in society and the church can do. But, but the church is made up of people, right? If you leave this place, you have nothing but an empty building. So it's people. This is what I've learned through time. The people that have come before me have showed me what it means to be a man of faith and a man of God and to stand up when you need to stand up and then sit down when you need to sit. But don't ever sit when you need to be standing to witness to God. Mm. Mm. John was an older friend when I moved to Johnson City, Tennessee. John was about 75 or so, I guess, when we moved there. First congregation we served. John came up to bite my shoulder. He had white hair, blue eyes, the color of the sky, wire-rimmed glasses. He would, he would periodically he'd come up to you and he'd say, Hey, Ron. Hey, Ron. I'm going to stand a minute. After my first <laughs> sermon in the first church that I served, John had come to hear the new pastor in town. And after that first sermon, you know, a pastor who always preaches everything he knows in his first sermon in his first <laughs> church. So John came up to me and kind of looked up to me. He said, Ron, do you know Jesus? Yes, of course I do, John. I know Jesus. He said, well, I just want to be sure because if you don't know Jesus, I'm not coming back. <laughs> well, John... John turned to be one of my biggest mentors. John was a, a late teenager, I guess it was, when his brother, older brother, locked him in the bathroom. And his brother pulled out a Bible and says, John, you're not saved. John, listen to this. For God so loved you, John, that he gave his only son that 
you would believe and have eternal life and not perish. John 3.16. And John said, I heard that and I made my first profession in Christ just to get out of the bathroom. <laughs> John went through the Great Depression. John was in World War II as a Graves Registration Officer for Patton's Third Army. He said, Ron, I saw it all. He came home with PTSD when it wasn't called that. He built his business. He built his family. He built his life and relationships on Jesus Christ. He would come over to our house uh, sometimes once a week, sometimes more for a cup of coffee and one of Barbara's muffins, and he would sit and talk about Jesus on end. And he, he volunteered to go upstairs and, and build a room uh, f for uh, our older son and a study for me. And John was a powerful witness, and he probably never knew it. But he showed me how to get through the tough times. The second person is Mary. Mary worked for Barbara's folks for about 40 years, and I met Mary when I was 16. Mary's a tiny little lady. She's one of the most powerful, one of the most significant people I've ever met in my life. Mary grew up in the deprivations of the Old South. She told me one day as we were sitting at the table, she said, Ron, I got married because I didn't want to pick cotton anymore. And she loved her husband dearly. Mary loved Jesus. Mary loves the church. She's still living. She's, she's still going strong in her mid-80s now. Mary's one of the most compassionate ladies I've ever met. She is faithful, probably one of the most faithful women I've ever known in my life. She is one of God's good gifts to the world. So she, she had like a handful of children. She, she mothered countless grandchildren, and she was the grandmother for the neighborhood uh, that she lives in now. And she is just a bold witness for Christ. And you take John and you take Mary, and I transpose it to the church, and I say, these are the people that show the foundation of God. And I hope you have your John and Marys within your life too. That uh, they will they will walk with you, and you go a long way with them. Mm. Like Lynn Sinachin. <clears throat> hey, with just the the last few minutes uh, that we have here, I want to ask you a difficult question. Okay, um, and this this is kind of one of the themes, uh, maybe the last theme that came in through um, when we solicited our questions. So. Knowing what you do today, being 79.3 years old. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, as one who's seen more winters. Um, if you could go back to younger Ron, maybe 25-year-old Ron, what advice would you give your younger self? He probably wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so true. Ron, Ron was 25 years old. He was uh, a sergeant enlisted in the United States Air Force. He was buried three years, no children. Can I pause right here? Yeah. We actually tracked down a picture when you were right around 25 Whoa. in the Air Force. <laughs> Ryan Gosling, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Gosling. Wait, we got a picture of you and mom, too. Do we have it? Uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need to sing memories here, everybody together. Memories. It was a tough time. I mentioned some of the things that were going on. Uh, I mentioned earlier, America was going crazy. Mm. America was crazy. Presidents were being killed. Uh, National Guard troops on Kent, uh, state campus, fired on students, killed students. Sexual revolution was occurring. University students were burning flags. The church was marching in the streets. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. I would have told Ron three things when I thought about this. 
But uh, let disappointments and failures shape your life for good. That's where I would have started. Let disappointments and failures shape your life for good. Because Steve, roughly four years earlier, uh, the younger Ron had flunked out of the University of Georgia. And he said, I'll never fail again. Boy, did he not know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you do. And disappointments and failures will happen, and you need a foundation like God will work in everything for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul knew what he was talking about when he was identifying this. He knew that people would fail. He knew that we needed to be prompted up and supported and so forth. But disappointments and failures happen all the time, but it's how you handle them. And so Ron would have benefited by ways to handle those situations in life. And even to, to hear at that time that bad things do happen to good people. I learned then that God does disappoint you, but God will never fail you. God will always be with you, although God will not always answer all your prayers the way that you want. And then the second thing I think Ron would have benefited from is build simple memories daily. Uh, I think Solomon was the one who wrote Ecclesiastes. There's a season for all things and a matter for all things under heaven. And it would have benefited Ron to hear that thing that he needed to build memories because at my age, I hear a lot of people now saying, is this all there is? It's disappointing in life when you get to a point where we are and you've got nothing to celebrate. But as I think back, there were those those memories that were more important than the things that I wanted. And so I began to record these and I put them in an album. It's a little mental album that I have. It's, a, it's an album that has my little, almost one year old daughter in her little white shirt and her white tights with her first little red dress at Christmas. And there's my six year old son after we moved to uh, Louisville right before Johnson was born, Louisville, Kentucky and Seminary. One day, he decided not to take the bus home from school, and we were about three miles from school, and he got lost. And we had to be called by someone we didn't know to come pick him up. And then there's this uh, last young man right here to my right. I think about the baseball that he got that had all the, the signatures of uh, his team there baseball team there in Texas. It was his first no-hitter. You know how special that is? To a dad? <laughs> <laughs> and you look at those things that, that build up, and then I think the last one that was, was most significant for me was the seed of childhood faith will grow if nurtured, and Jesus will carry you further than you could ever imagine. I had all the grounding, the church stuff, but it was letting it grow, letting it mature, letting it nurture, and it found, I found out that I needed to change my priorities. Hmm. I needed to look for what God wanted me to do rather than what I was happy doing and what pleased me. I learned that when my priorities changed, a new joy came into my life. And I wish the younger Ron, way back when, could have heard that. And I think that, that to a great extent, is my prayer for y'all. Is that y'all would uh, look, look at failures and disappointments and grow from them. That you would be able to formulate those memories uh, that you'll treasure when you're old. And that you will let whatever childhood faith that you have continue to grow and multiply because Jesus will carry you. And you know why? It's because he's your foundation. Amen. 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 <clears throat> <clears throat>
said, Jesus will never, Jesus may disappoint you, but he'll never fail you. That's a whole word. Goodness gracious. That's, uh, we're just going to come back tonight and we're just going to preach that one. Uh, goodness. Like, but that's, uh, let me just say, that's the benefit of having links in the chain. Because sometimes when you're in the storm, you're like, this is it. It's over. But when you have 79, 80 years, so you've seen more winters, you have perspective to be able to look back and say, it may not be fun now. It may not all be working out the way I thought it would be. But God will never fail us. God will never fail us. So let's do this. Thank you, Dad, for being our commencement speaker this weekend. Let's do this. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's bow our heads across all our campuses. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of Psalm 145 just come to life, even right here, that one generation commends your works to another to have the links in the chain. God, I thank you that um, in your church, every generation has a voice. It's not just being young and new. God, every generation has a voice. Every generation carries importance. And God, I even pray in this next season in victory, God, for more mentors, more of one generation commending the glory and the faithfulness of God to the next. But I also acknowledge this, God, there's some people who came in this weekend um, who are maybe realizing why their life has been so up and down and it's like the foundation is failing them. It's because they haven't built on Jesus Christ. They've been built on sand. Maybe they've been built on church or a family name or money or whatever it is. But the good news is today is that today is the day of salvation. The door's still open to be able to come into faith in Jesus Christ and to build our life on the rock. And here, here's a reality for some of us. We may need to hear this, is that the best time to build your life on Jesus is when you're super young. The second best time to build your life on Jesus is today. It's today. Whatever day However old you are, no matter how much water's gone under the bridge, today's the day to do it. So let's do this. If, if you're in a place where as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, that the, that the Father's drawing you to him and today's the day that you say yes to Jesus Christ, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And a family of God's gonna pray with you as we pray like this. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, today I confess you are the son of God who died for my sins and you rose again. I also confess that I've been built on sand. And so today, I turn from that sand, from my sin, my shame, my darkness. I leave it behind and I turn to Jesus. Today and every day moving forward, I choose to build on Jesus. You are my King, you're my Lord, you're my Savior. And from this moment forward, I belong to you. And because of Jesus, I am forgiven, I am free, and I'm a child of God. For the rest of my days, I will be built on you until my last breath. In Jesus' name. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna ask my dad to do something that he loves to do, and that's to pray for the church. Dad, would you pray? Yeah, to, just to let you know that uh, I'll write out my prayers so I'll know what I've said and I can see God working in them. I encourage you, if you don't do that, you can see God's movement through your life. But let me pray, if you will, join me in prayer as I pray out loud and you sit there and sense the presence of God, I pray, around us today. Let's pray. Amazement falls short of describing what it feels like driving onto these grounds and walking with these nations and entering the sanctuary to praise, worship, learn, and serve you, the awesome God. In this simple space where we assemble, we catch a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like with all its beautiful colors, dialects, and nations assembled under one roof. Inside this sacred space, praise is genuine, the word is proclaimed, truth is spoken, Prayers bold, pure, and edifying. Old lives are cleansed in the waters and become new in baptism. Bread is broken, the cup is shared with Jesus as host. The walls declare this mission in this living, breathing body of faith, which consists of the mission and directs the ministry of Jesus in these times. In this region and in distant lands, far beyond sight, 
where people are liberated from bondage. Bodies, souls, and spirits are healed, and the dead and spirit emerge from their fleshly tombs to celebrate life as never before. This is no common place. Everyone has a place. Everyone is appreciated. Everyone is valued. Here the young are loved on, the youth are treasured, the old revered, those between precious. Out of this community, raise up a new generation of leaders, proclaimers, teachers, and missionaries, O oh God. Convict parents to raise their children to first become men and women of faith, loving and serving Jesus in whatever they do. May all stand firmly wherever they are for what is good, right, and pleasing to you, the one true God. Bless them with abundant blessings. And on the greater community, I ask that you bestow a positive future. Empower those who lead to follow the Spirit. Inspire those who proclaim the good news. Enliven the Spirit and instill hope to all who enter this space. Bestow upon the old dreams and fill the young with visions. Generate within each individual heart a spirit of service and multiply their ministry. Continue to draw those who hunger and thirst for righteousness into this community. Equip them hold them accountable, and enlarge their territory. And you, O oh God, be the fresh wind that blows through this place, stirring spirits, blessing the faithful and cleansing hearts and minds. Be living waters that refresh the soul, wash away the desire of sin and sinfulness, and quench their deepest thirst. And be the light that illuminates the way of the young and old reveals the hazards in the path ahead and guides in truth, righteousness, and justice. You have blessed victory, Lord. Continue to bless them and be their one and only foundation for life. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.